Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palenker. And I am Fritz Coleman. Fritz and I are sort of the analog version of customers who enjoyed this may also enjoy that. <laughs> and we only tell you about the stuff we like. For example, a book called My Dad's Funnier Than Your Dad by our upcoming guest, Kelly Conway. She wrote about her life and her relationship with her father, Tim Conway. It's a sensational book. Kelly is coming right up. But first, Fritz, how are you feeling? Fritz has COVID, which is why he is safely sealed in his own environment this week. Fritz, how are you? I feel good today. I had two, I'm going to get into a diagnosis here that maybe you didn't ask for, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I've had two nights of good sleep. Uh, it, it was really just a hideous sore throat and a cough, but as quickly as it came, it went away. So today I'm feeling much better. I'm still going to quarantine until Friday, but I'm feeling much better. Thanks for asking. And it ain't no joke. I'm so thankful I've been vaccinated. So, Right. I'm glad you're feeling better. So what sort of programming has been keeping you company? All right. Well, I, I first would like to offer the informant, Fear and Faith in the Heartland. This is another documentary on Hulu from George Stephanopoulos. He has his own production company now, and they do documentaries on Hulu, and he does a great job. We now know that domestic terrorism is the biggest threat to national security, and this film goes right to the heart of it. It's the story of a very ordinary, blue-collar, God-fearing guy in a middle American town called Garden City, Kansas, who becomes this reluctant hero. Now, Garden City happens to have a sizable population of Somali immigrants who moved to Kansas to escape the terror in their own home country. Most of them are employed at the big local meatpacking plant in Garden City. The Somalis happily do these awful grisly jobs at the meatpacking plant that most Americans don't want because it was steady, good-paying work in a peaceful country. And there's a tight-knit Somali community in Garden City with their own complex of apartment buildings, including a mosque. Now, on the other side of town lives an ordinary Joe named Dan Day. Dan gets invited to a barbecue, which unbeknownst to him ahead of time, is a recruitment gathering for a local militia the Garden City chapter of the Three Percenters. Now, the Three Percenters participated in the January 6th insurrection and were responsible for the plot to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan, you remember. Dan didn't want anything to do with the militia. And somehow, the FBI got word of Dan's attendance at this barbecue, and they reached out to him secretly to ask him some questions. After the FBI discovered that Dan wasn't a believer, they recruited him to be an informant. In other words, Keep attending those meetings, wear a wire. If there's ever any discussion about doing violence to the Somali community, please let the FBI know. Well, Dan embedded for a year and a half with this group, and lo and behold, he uncovered a plot that involved the three percenters building a fertilizer bomb large enough to completely destroy the entire Somali apartment complex and kill many, many people. Thanks to Dan's informing, the FBI was able to bust the group a couple of days before they were going to actually pull off their plot. It's an incredible story of an ordinary guy becoming a reluctant and an unlikely hero. We see him interacting in his own shy way with a grateful Somali community. And you end up hoping that there are many patriotic Americans who would step up and do the same thing, even though he put his family in grave danger. Really interesting documentary. Yeah, I'm going to be careful with my barbecue invitations. Please do. I think that's a cautionary tale. Wow, what a hero. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have been watching a series on Hulu called Love, Victor. Love, Victor is set in the world of the groundbreaking movie Love, Simon, which was inspired by Becky Albertalli's acclaimed young adult novel, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. The book and the film. <laughs> that's a great title, right? Yep. The book and the film tell the story of high school student Simon and reveal just how agonizing it is, even in an open-minded family, for a gay kid to come out. Straight is still the assumed default, and rather than raising kids in a world where they are told, hey, you may be attracted to girls or guys or both, you may feel mostly male, mostly female, or both or neither, gay and gender fluid or trans kids hear all kinds of homophobic language in peer groups, in the locker room, and sometimes even in jokey ways in their own households, further compounding the courage required to finally come out. The Hulu series Love, Victor takes place in the same high school where Simon recently graduated, 
Michael Cimino plays Victor, who faces his own painful journey towards revealing his personal truth. Along his path, Victor reaches out to Simon. Their texting communication nicely narrates the piece. Complicating his journey towards coming out, Victor, the family peacemaker, grapples with a surly sister and his parents' feuding and infidelity. The writing is sharp and funny, and it is a great look at modern teenage life. Love, Victor is on Hulu. It sounds really contemporary. You and I had a long discussion about what pronouns to use on people who choose to have other pronouns today, and this is very current. And Mm -hmm. I called my daughter and asked her about the whole pronoun thing. I said, do any of your friends insist on new pronouns? And she said, no, but she said all the professors in her classes at college ask the students how they would like to be recognized as to their pronouns. So it's in the culture now. So it sounds to me like this is one of those things that sort of expands that topic. Interesting. Well, my next offer is Carol King and James Taylor's concert on CNN called Just Call Out My Name. This two-hour concert is a baby boomer fever dream. It's the culmination of a lifelong friendship and professional collaboration. Back in the 1970s, James asked Carol to join his band when he was playing at the Troubadour, and the rest is history. It contains excerpts from their 2010 Troubadour reunion tour. There was three continents, 50 performances, and it all started at the Troubadour right here in Los Angeles. The two trade hits back and forth on stage, and when one is singing their hit, the other accompanies on a piano and a guitar. Carol does all the great hits from her Tapestry album, which broke a record for being at the top of the Billboard album charts for like a decade. She sings It's Too Late, So Far Away, Smack Water Jack. She also does the iconic hit she wrote for the Drifters Up on the Roof. That gets a great response. James, and I have to say, who is in pristine voice, the sweet baby James, Caroline on my mind, fire and rain. The peak emotional moment of the show is their duet on You've Got a Friend. That includes a little anecdote that James tells when Carol played the song for him in the 70s during a sound check at the Troubadour. He recognized that this was going to be one of the greatest songs ever written. And he asked her humbly if he could record it. She said yes, even though she intended to include it in her own first album. It was a sign of their great love and friendship, which permeates the two hours. It was on CNN Sunday night. It just made me smile. And you'll be able to see it stream soon on HBO Max. And we see our friend Lee Sklar in there. Oh, God. He was so good. And uh, you get to see his beard evolved. It started as a brown beard at the beginning of the Carol and James tours and then ended up as, uh, you know, Santa Plus. You know. Santa Plus. You know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I've been to see them together and I remember walking out and walking past their bus and just wanting to climb up onto the bus so that I could hang out with them for the next <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah. It was a great memories. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, uh, we're going to introduce our guest, Kelly Conway, because she's awesome. So Kelly Conway is a highly acclaimed Hollywood costume designer and wardrobe stylist and the author of her first book, My Dad's Funnier Than Your Dad, Growing Up with Tim Conway in the Funniest House in America. I'm not going to contest that. Okay, you guys. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome, Kelly. Uh, As you write in your book, you did have a wonderful childhood. I had the best childhood and I and. I know that's not true for necessarily everyone. Um, We, I have five younger brothers and we had a blast growing up because my mom and dad are fun and funny and they raised us like we were in Michigan or Ohio. So we're not, we were pretty grounded. You know, until now. Until now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll help with, we can help with that. I, I have three children. And if just one of them is as devoted to me when I get really old mm. as you are to your father, I will have considered my parenting a success. This is a really Thank you. Thank about you. a beautiful, almost mystical uh, relationship between a daughter and her father. And the rest of the three-dimensional quality of Kelly is that she was the oldest child of six kids in the family, or was, mm-hmm. it was six kids, and you were the oldest, and you were the only daughter, and you had to wrangle all those brothers. But it's it's really very, very touching. I enjoyed it Thank so much. Thank you. Thank and you. I hope your kids do that, too. If they don't, I still got some left in me. 
I think the horse has left the barn. I don't think that's going to happen. Where do we list? Where do we enroll? Is it is as hard to get as COVID tests? Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now talk about your dad's personality because in in you know in reading any kind of book about people that we feel we grow up with we want them to be exactly who we need them to be and they they aren't always but in the case of your dad he is that guy that everybody in America was in love with right he is and that's i think why he lasted so long and and he has so many friends that um you know, I, I've never heard a bad word said about my dad. And I don't know, I think eventually it would come back to me if he were a jerk or if he, you know, were different at work than he was, than he was at home. Um, so I just think he, that he was just genuine and that's exactly how he was at work and at home and at the grocery store and at the hardware store. And wherever we were um he just that, that, that really shows up in in your examples of him encountering fans and sometimes fans are so excited to meet a star that they're not thinking about the scene that they're in like a person mm -hmm. having a meal at an expensive restaurant but your dad was very patient with fans and appreciated their attention and made them feel comfortable which i have a lot of respect for not everybody he did he did and it, and it never um you know like it never bothered us because I don't think I think we knew my dad had a fun, good job in high school and junior high and high school. But I don't think we ever really put together how many people he reached. Um, so, like I said, my parents thought we were in Ohio or, or Michigan, and they just kind of um, kept us all at a level that um, that was acceptable. <laughs> So, and, and when people did come up to him, um, they were always so nice. And, you know, we'd sometimes say, Hey, you know, dad, why, you know, you're eating dinner. Why do you have to do that? And he goes, it's when they stop asking that I'm going to start worrying. So sit down and <laughs> shut up. <laughs> exactly. I had one experience with your dad where I'm at some event, I've got my recording device slung over my shoulder and I, I walk up to him and I was trying last night to think of the word that best uh, describes the encounter. And I and I came up with gracious. He, oh, well. He's just, a, you know, I wanted to say, you know, sweet, kind, unassuming, all these other things. But he's he was just a gracious person and made, you know, always made you feel like you, it's okay. I'm happy to talk to you, and you're not interrupting, you know, anything. This this encounter is fine with me. Just lovely, a really always spirit. Yeah, always. And he was like that with us. With friends or teachers or, or whatever and because he didn't he didn't ever think that he was any better or different or 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 i mean he always said if it hadn't worked out in la or in hollywood that he would have been happy going back to chagrin falls um and working and work at the hardware store he might have been managing by then by the time he got into his 40s but um he would have been just as happy anywhere else and he's he's just he's lucky that he had the 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 run that he did you know and there's a lot right now with betty white there's a lot of videos mm -hmm. going around and there's and then your dad always gets scooped up in all of this energy you know from this generation and then you get to rewatch him crack everybody up and the, i i was watching we don't often laugh that hard as when we're watching him it, we you know we can go years without laughing that hard where you can't catch your breath but you're you know you're watching carol and vicky and I don't know if it was Dick Van Dyke or whoever you couldn't I couldn't tell who it was because they were just bent over your dad's going into something that he hadn't done in dress rehearsal. And part of what was so excruciating was they knew there was more coming that he wasn't done. And how were they going to ever survive? And so that I think part that's part of it is they the anticipation of they knew he had more always. Um, but yeah, I just saw a clip recently with Betty White, actually yesterday, um, that somebody on the on a red carpet or somebody's in in a uh, a line and um, says, "Who makes you laugh?" And she said, "Tim Conway." And that I melted when I saw that because she is the female version as far as being gracious and kind and generous and loving. Like they're just two different next level. You, you were supposed to be your stepmom. Okay, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> you you uh, mentioned this before, but I'm going to drill down on it a little bit. Your, your dad's connection with audiences was not only his humor, 
But as you said, his middle American attitude and his values were never lost, even when he moved to California. Rather than hobnobbing with snooty upper crust show business types, he'd rather be in his workshop building a birdhouse. He never lost his middle American roots. And I think people connected with that, even in an unspoken yeah. way. I think so too. And and like I said, that's how he treated all of us and our friends and his friends. And it was nothing ever fancy or crazy. It was just, you know, we always used to say, how come, you know, how come the National Enquirer doesn't write about you? We wish they would. So something would happen, you know, <laughs> we, we could have something to look at. And he'd say, because I don't cause any attention to do anything like that. I don't go to parties. I watch movies with you guys. Uh, I don't go to the uh, Playboy Mansion. I'm having a swim meet in the backyard with you all. So he just he never he never did anything <laughs> to to make. And that's actually that's one of the things that he drilled into us our whole lives. Never cause any unwanted or unnecessary attention to yourselves, whether it's in your car or at school or at work or whatever you're doing. If you're walking. Don't walk weird. Just be a normal person and and don't cause there's enough attention on people and, and things. So just don't cause any, you know, with your clothes or whatever you're doing. Don't ever cause any extra unwanted attention. Neither did he. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And, and that's why when things started to go south with, you know, in his 80s, it wasn't anything that he had summoned or manifested it. And, you know, it just kind of happened and you guys had to, had to weather it together, but you had each other. Yeah. It, um, when I had to seek legal action to get visitation, uh, with him there, I put it off for a long time because it was building before I did it. And I put it off for a long time because I didn't want that attention uh, onto my dad or to myself or my brothers or anybody. Uh, cause I knew it was going to be negative and it was going to get blown out of proportion. And in actuality, I just wanted to visit my dad. And, um, we even, um, I'm talking about the, the last year. Or so when, um, I wasn't allowed to see him, um, we filed the papers downtown LA under my dad's real name, which is Thomas Conway. But when he was, uh, wanting to get in the Screen Actors Guild, there was another Thomas Conway. And so he had to change to Tim. So we filed papers under Thomas. We, you know, we did everything we could to not uh, let it go public. And then literally 10 minutes after they filed the papers, it was crazy. It was all over the place. I, I didn't want you, that. but I think you have a lot to teach everybody about that experience. And I want to get into that. That's the third act of your dad's life. But before we got to that part, which pulled my heart out of my chest, what massaged my heart was your relationship with your father when you were a young girl. And you were the only daughter, and there's a very special relationship between fathers and daughters, but he seemed to be very aware of your feelings at all times and was really cognizant of them. And I think one of the most touching stories in your book was when you were going on your first day to that Catholic elementary school in Encino, and it wasn't working out well. If you don't mind, share that with our listeners because it was heartbreaking and beautiful well he didn't trust anyone for some reason well not for some reason because he was in a big city you know rather than a small town in ohio it was always a big city to him in fact when he went out when i was really little when he went out of town um he wouldn't have my mom and i stay at the sportsman's lodge because he didn't, he thought someone was going to kidnap me or my mom or both of us at the same time. So he was really, really protective and he's an only child. So I think that came from, uh, just not, you know, worrying about all the kids all of a sudden where they are and who they're friends with and where they're riding their bikes. So I went to school. It was our lady of grace on Ventura Boulevard. And, um, he dropped me off and he, he was circling the block a few times you know, up White Oak, down Rancho, down Ruby or whatever the streets were. And um, he, at one point he saw me crying on the, on the playground. And I tell it as, I think I was, I wasn't paying attention and kids went into the, to their classrooms and I was busy playing in the mud or rocks or something. And I didn't see them go in. So I started crying because I didn't know where anyone he was. And my dad got out of his car and literally 
reached his hand over the fence and pulled me up by my hoodie or uniform and said, that's it. You're not going back. Say goodbye. And I went in, he put me in another school where he knew I was taken care of or not. I mean, I, it wasn't that I wasn't being taken care of. I lost track of who they were. So anyway, he's very protective and he just saw me crying. And I don't know if he expected to, because he did keep circling around the block, he said. But I, I thought that was, you know, he he dropped you off. And most dads would say, okay, she's gone. Let's go to Starbucks and get a thing. <laughs> yeah. He dropped you off and he, he circled the building just to make sure you were okay. And you didn't know he was there. And had he not done that, he wouldn't have seen you in distress as the rest of the elementary school went back indoors and you're left alone crying on the field. And he may rescued. still be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? He, he knew when to protect you and he yeah, knew when great. to when to encourage you to figure something out. Yeah, exactly. He he um and he did that with all of us. Like he, you know, if I went on a sleepover, he knew that I wasn't gonna last past 10 a, 10 p.m. <laughs> so he would circle the block of wherever, whatever house I was in, uh, with a bunch of other girls on a Friday night. Um, he knew that he would get the phone call. So he stayed close all the time. And that's what I miss most is he always knew where I was, what I was doing. Call when I get to Mammoth, even if it was at midnight, but which if he did think I was going to Mammoth at midnight, he would, I'd go say bye to him as I was leaving the Valley and he'd go, it's six o'clock. It's dark out. You're sleeping over and you'll leave at five in the morning. I go, okay. So he would, and that was uh, recently and I'm old. So <laughs> That was recent. <laughs> but in, in the birth order situation, it is kind of an unusual arrangement of kids because usually when there's one of the opposite sex, it's because they had a whole bunch of boys and they really want a girl and then mm -hmm. they get one. And so it's interesting. It seems like you and Tim, your brother, and Sean, the youngest, are the most connected. And these four boys in the middle maybe felt like a herd and you guys felt like more of individuals. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, um, I think I'm being a girl and being the eldest was, yeah, that was a separate thing. And then, yeah, Tim, my brother, Tim is the first boy and Sean's the baby. So I think they were like, you know, the bookends and Patrick, uh, Jamie and Corey were in the middle and they, and they got as much, uh, in trouble and as much attention and as much, uh, as anybody else did, but I considered Sean, my youngest brother, my child. Mm. So he got a lot of my attention. And if, if you, you read it, um, I didn't want him at first cause I wanted a sister so badly. Um, uh, that, you know, he, once I connected with Sean, he was, I never let him out of my sight. If he, if I couldn't find him in a room or in a house, I would go crazy and call the police. Oh, you're such a nurturer. <laughs> So in your dad's uh, small circle of uh, uh, close friends, but good friends, some were his professional associates like Harvey Corman and his family, mm. and they would come over to swim all the time at your house and they were very close. I can't imagine just being there and watching those two interact, even in a non-official way, were they, were they just funny all the time? All the time. Uh, they were funny all the time with their walking down a street in New York, uh, or on a, on a plane, or, you know, my dad was constantly trying to, um, pan make Harvey panic about something. I mean, Harvey, Harvey thought Osama bin Laden was after him. I know, I love yeah, that. that story. And, and <laughs> he really did. And, and my dad would go to great lengths to <laughs> scare the crap out of him. Like he would set he's one time he sent you know, the guys that paint the, the curbsides in, in LA in the Valley and they put your address up and they paint it and you give them 50 bucks or whatever right. it is. Yeah. There was someone doing that at my dad's house and my dad went outside and gave him 50 bucks and then gave him another hundred dollars and sent him up to Harvey's house. <laughs> <laughs> and Harvey wasn't expecting him. And he called the police and thought that there was uh, a terrorist <laughs> after him. And my dad told, um, the kid to say something, I don't know, to scare him, but he was constantly trying was to bother him. Very, very, you know, him. 
Um, and Ernie Anderson. Did you know Ernie Anderson? Francis? I want to talk all about Ernie Anderson. <laughs> I think there's a great two degrees of separation between your family and the Anderson family, especially with the famous yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. So I'll, I'll set it up and you talk about it. Okay. So uh, your dad came out to L.A. from Cleveland with Ernie Anderson, uh, with whom he had done a TV show back in Cleveland that was successful, and they came out here to be stars. Your dad mm -hmm. became a big star, and Ernie became probably the preeminent voiceover, voice of God guy on the whole planet. And uh, the history goes on. Paul has Paul Thomas Anderson, the famous director, and mm -hmm. his most recent movie, Licorice Pizza, has a great acting chop from your brother Tim in there. And when I saw that, I just burst out laughing, thinking both those guys in heaven right now are probably smiling watching this confluence of the two families later on. I agree. You you saw you guys both did you see yes, it? Yes, I did. Your brother's I, a good actor. I was isn't very he good? Impressed. Yeah. I was surprised and I want to see it again. I think I ha have the DVD now. Um, but I want to see it again because I was so nervous. And so we went to see the um, Paul invited us to the premiere in Westwood. And my sister-in-law, Jen, and Sophia, my niece, were all in one row. And I was dying because I I'm watching, you know, those big theaters in Westwood. I'm watching yeah. all like a thousand people watch <laughs> my brother, like my brother with the with the sideburns. It, I was so nervous to see him that it was, I thought he was so good. He was very, I, I, I set up a text yeah. and I said, can I please be your seat filler at the Oscars? <laughs> I, we, and we love Paul too. Paul, we have never separated from our childhood. Talk about your relationship with the Anderson family and your dad being friends with him and all that stuff. Well, they, um, they knew each other from Cleveland. They, uh, my dad met him on a roadside. I think the, the story they tell is my dad's little MG midget car uh, was overheating or he couldn't get it in out of first gear or something. And Ernie was literally in the car next to him in Cleveland and looked over and said something that I can't repeat on <laughs> in public, but uh, he said something about his car. They pulled over and were friends ever since. That's how they met in the street. Yeah. Um, they ended up getting along great and they had a radio show and then a TV wraparound show um, in Cleveland and their radio show was so uh, nobody listened to it and they would make up guests to um, that my dad would come in and do a voice of somebody. And that's where the character Dirk Diggler uh, from Boogie Nights that Paul wrote and directed. Um, the, Dirk Diggler, the character was a character my dad did in Cleveland. It wasn't the same guy. It wasn't a porn star, um, but it was the name that he took Um for that uh, for that character, so my dad got a kick out of that, and they messed around in Cleveland. And Rosemary, uh, who's my godmother, came to uh, saw them. Someone told her about them, and she saw them and invited them out to LA to to do Steve Allen show or to meet him, I guess. Um, and then they both came out. I mean, my dad and mom drove out. My mom was pregnant with me. Um, they drove, drove out in a little Volkswagen from Cleveland and Ernie and his wife, Edwina, uh, did the same thing and they all landed here and, the, and, and he went, Ernie went on to do the love boat. He was, yeah, the <laughs> yes. big, he was the ABC network announcer with his, like when you die, you want to hear his voice making the announcement in heaven, you know, he's just, right. I'm, but I'm I just thought it was that. a great, great family connection. He, they're the kids. Uh, they have four kids. We had six, and so the ten of us and the parents had a blast. We we took vacations together. We were in Hawaii a lot. We were in Lake Arrowhead. We were either at their house in Studio City or our, our house in Encino every weekend. Um, you know, Disneyland trips, everything. We did everything with them. In fact, Paul Paul Thomas um, is named after my dad because my dad's name is Thomas. Oh, yeah. Do you, do, do you think uh, because he wrote that uh, interesting movie that I didn't understand, but it was beautiful, Magnolia, he named it after the street you lived on in Encino? Well, we did grow up on Magnolia and uh, I've never, you know, I never asked him that. I kind of assumed that that was <laughs> that, well, was, that was kind of it. Or I mean, Magnolia, as you know, goes the length of the valley almost oh, yeah. to his house, almost to their place. They grew up in Studio City near 
uh, Vineland Colfax around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think so. I mean, I never want to, want to put an idea in his brain, but I think he probably did. Um, <laughs> what, um, describe your mom's personality. You do a good job in the book of depicting her. She's a saucy lady. And mm-hmm. what what was the what was the attraction? What worked, and then why did it ultimately stop working? Uh, I think it worked. Um, they met in in uh, at Bowling Green State in Toledo. And I think they were friends for a while. And my mom was funny too. She was salty for sure. Um, cause we were six little idiots running around and bothering her every day. But, um, she came, she was the eldest of seven kids. So she had to kind of wrangle them as well. So, um, I don't know. I think my dad was probably attracted to the big fun family that she had. Um, her family, everyone in it is more fun than she is. And it is, it was, a it was, a an odd combination, but they had a blast, um, until they didn't. And I think, I think mostly they just had different ways of bringing us up. My dad, um, wasn't the reprimanding type dad. Like, I mean, he, he, of course he would, if he, he would, he would reprimand us if we were doing something different or something we shouldn't, but my mom was, had some volume on her for sure. And, she got us our attention quickly and my dad would do it a little more subtly. Like, um, there's a story in the book where I came in to say goodbye to them for school. And I had something that, you know, I probably had a bathing suit top on to go to school because it was hot, which is not appropriate by the way. Mm-hmm. But you know, my mom would say, get that off you tramp. And my dad would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just let, can we not send her off in tears to school? So, you know, he'd come in my closet and go here. How about something with sleeves on it? And go, okay, cool. <laughs> and my dad would make everything better. Uh, it, they just had different, totally different ways of bringing us up. Mm-hmm. And looking at so, the world. And looking at the world. And, and uh, you know, they got along for a long time. And then, I don't know, people change and you know I don't nobody hated each other and and there wasn't they just I think they drifted and decided that you know there wasn't any screaming or yelling with their fights it just kind of stopped and I say in the book too that I don't even remember when my dad moved out I think they probably did it while we were at school or I just blocked it out of my memory bank um I have a pretty good memory but I don't remember any of that and Two when 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 I was writing this book all during COVID, we started writing um, in end of February in 2020. So it was right at the beginning. Um, it was a nice project to do, but I, I there's so many things that I realized um, that I never really realized before in saying it out loud and writing and uh, with you know all these memories, um, kind of figure stuff out in it and it. I did figure a lot out, all these things that my dad taught us without teaching us, without really teaching us, you know? So it's really therapeutic. I mean, oh my gosh, writing, it feels like it's going to be an incredibly difficult thing to do, but people who do write or people who journal, I think that that's, it's almost like our dreams. It's like we're processing while we're doing it. I agree. I mean, I can barely write, I can barely read. So I, I had help. Carolyn St. Clair was, is a fabulous writer and the stories that I can tell stories, um, and I can set it up and, and do the basic, uh, math, but she, I'm definitely not hooked on phonics. She's, <laughs> she's with the punctuation and the spelling and all that. She was amazing. And she, she's the one who tied it all together, you know, to make sense, mm-hmm. but it was a, it was a great process. It is like, I, I stayed up very late when I was getting close to the end. You know, you just, you just, I know what, what's going to happen, but I don't know how mm-hmm. it happens. And so that's what you, that's what you're reading for because you yeah. know, it's just it break, like, I, I think I emailed you. It's just breaking my heart while I'm reading mm-hmm. this. You just want to reach in and, and fix it. But it's one of those things that, you know, as you, as you experience, there's not a lot you can do. And I thought maybe we could talk a little bit if you think it's time for it's in the show to talk a little bit about what children can do. Cause oftentimes by the time your, your mother or your father is getting into their later years, one of 
and one of them has already gone and or mm -hmm. they married somebody else. So your your parents don't die on the same day. So we're all kind of faced with they might be living with some other people when they get to this phase. And right. you know, what's my agency within that as their child? And it, it seems from your experience that you didn't have there wasn't a ton. Yeah, I, think we have to, I, I want to talk so much about it because I think Kelly has so much advice to offer people. I just want to set it up. Your mom, your biological mother, passed away from cancer. Mm -hmm. Your father married Charlene, who uh, later on, who happened to be a family friend, which further complicated your relationship with her because the great relationship you started to have with her didn't end up so great. She mm -hmm. had a daughter from her previous marriage, Jackie. So what we're talking about, this darkness in your life happened after your father had married Charlene and had Jackie and the family chemistry changed a little bit and then your father got ill. So that's what we're talking about. But it's a wife well, of 30 years. That's something yes, else. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. What, and, and I loved her for 30 those, And I loved her before. She was so fun. And when you when you realize that your parents aren't just these aren't just your parents, that they have they need a companion and they need other friends and they need to be grownups. Um, they're not just these superheroes that take care of you. And I, honestly, I, it took me a while to understand that because they're just your dad. And why do you have to date anyone? And why do you have to, you know, go out and why do you need someone to hang out with why can you just hang out with mom or nobody so i loved her because she was a family friend i knew her before and i thought that was a great situation to not have a total stranger come into our house and because she was always around so that part i loved and i was i considered myself lucky to know her and tend to love her and then we had a great thing for 30 years. There were a, a few bumps in there, which any family would have, but it wasn't anything serious. It was, you know, like, why'd you leave the milk out? And, you know, she's Italian, so she would uh, get loud. And I'm not Italian, so I would cry for a day and thinking that she hated me <laughs> <laughs> because she yelled at me, but she forgot about it two minutes after she yelled at me and she was fine. So I had to get used to that, but I loved her. Um, and then I don't know... I don't know what happened. Um, I can assume that when you lose a spouse, you know, losing a dad is, even though we hate it and we don't want to ever see parents leave you, it's a natural progression that happens. And, you know, I have been dreading that day since I'm a little kid. And I talk about that in the book too. Like I always kind of thought about it, you know, what do you, what's going to happen when you're not here? And he's like, I'm 40, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> So, um, talk about your dad's I, diagnosis. It's important that people understand his slow decline and what caused it. Um, it's something called normal pressure hydrocephalus, normal pressure hydrocephalus. And it's, uh, a fluid that your, your spinal fluid collects in your brain. And we all have this fluid running around and, um, we have a natural valve somewhere back here that drains it and pushes it through. And, and when that valve isn't working, it, wreaks havoc on your everything on um you know that fluid has to move around and 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 keep you healthy and 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 good so if that valve isn't working it happens to premature babies and it happens to elderly not many people in between they put a an artificial valve in to regulate the fluid and if that doesn't work then you're in trouble and that's what happened uh the valve didn't work they put the wrong one in and then they put a kid's one in and then it was um it was a mess and um the the part with charlene is that i i know that a daughter's relationship is much different than a husband and wife i understand that and and i i think she thought i was um overstepping boundaries and and uh it was a control thing i understand her panic and her guy her best friend is leaving is fading and is my dad too but it's different when it's a spouse and i and i and she panicked and um uh it went from there went downhill fast from there because um all of a sudden you know i couldn't do i couldn't bring him food if he was hungry i couldn't bring him a blanket if he was cold i it started slowly slowly um uh, being isolated from him and that was bad because I wasn't a you know once a year Father's Day type daughter it was 
Um, I talked to him every day. And if it wasn't missing a day uh, in there, my dad would call and go, I started calling hospitals and police stations. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm skiing. Sorry, sorry. I, and so, I must tell you, that was the big question I was left with. And I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear your take on it. I, do you believe that it's because of this magical, you had a very intimate, lovely, tight relationship with your father. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think her reaction was inappropriate jealousy at your bond with your father? Or do you think it had to do with, and maybe it had to do with both, uh, Charlene also used drugs inappropriately, as did her daughter, and that sort of exacerbated whatever her personality yeah. issues were. But it just seems to me like she was insanely jealous of your emotional connection to him. And although they were partners and friends, it will never be as close as the one uh, Kelly had with Tim. Yeah. And my relationship with my dad isn't going to be what they have. They know things about each other. And my dad and I know things that like it's just a different it's different planets. Um, I think drug use, um, you know, we've all had we've all I'm sure known people who have been addicted to something or another and have gotten help and um, whether they get help or not, it, you know, it changes your personality and it change. It doesn't even change it from, I learned, you can read about it till the cows come home, but I learned right, you know, up front that if you take enough drugs, it changes your basic personality and it makes you aggressive and it makes you confrontational and paranoid. And, um, it, 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 for some reason I'm telling you, it, it felt like it changed. I mean, it did happen, you know, throughout that, that year, but it, um, it, it, there was no coming back from it, the decisions. And that's when I figured out the decisions she was making for my dad were wrong um, because she was, her mind was compromised. Um, and so she couldn't, you know, make a decision to get him to an MRI on time. And that was Jackie's job to be his driver. And then she was not of right mind either. So she's driving my dad to these appointments and um, it just kind of got it things started falling through the cracks, like appointments and MRIs and, and places to be and things to do and changing bandages. And, you know, after the surgery, um, it, it, I felt like if I weren't there, if I wasn't there, then, um, then it would fall through the cracks and it did. And I think um, an addiction is, is, uh, it's, it's your master. So you become selfish and everything's in service to that. And you also, right really moody and you don't feel good when you're not medicated and, and right. you know and you're triggering her because these are insecurities she's had all along that she was able to manage i'm never going to be right. i'm never going to share the bond that kelly shares okay fine that's his child yet you're not supposed to love is abundant it has all kinds of different representations in our lives exactly it's, it's exactly a, it's a renewable resource that's just that love makes more love so but something was being triggered and she was serving that addiction. She wasn't serving your dad, and you recognized yeah, exactly. that. Right. And you were I mean, in such a bad place. You had every reason to react. Uh, I, I mean, I thought you were more patient than you needed to be. I was so frustrated for you. Thank but you. the point is, if you pushed it too far and pushed her in the wrong direction, she was going to make it impossible for you to see your dad, even to visit yeah. him anytime. So it was a really difficult position for you to be in. It was. And, and I went through a lot of months a uh, year to um, to just say, OK, no problem. No problem. You don't want me to bring him um, lunch? No problem. I, just anything, because I felt like it was creeping up to that level of her not wanting me to see him anymore. So, you know, when I would and it, and it wasn't anything malicious, I would literally I would go to Gelson's and, and my dad's favorite meal in the world is a turkey sandwich. Um, with gravy uh, over white bread and some potatoes, like Thanksgiving, it's his favorite meal. And Gelson's has it every single day. <laughs> so uh, I will go get it. And um, it, it, it got to the point where she would, you know, say, he's not eating that. He's eating what I made him and throw it out. And, and I just wanted him to eat, you know, and that was, that was my goal. And I knew he liked it. And and I, I didn't think it was anything crazy, but it got crazy. And uh, it did take me a lot longer than, than it should have because, like I said, I didn't want my dad's name or his illness to be that much in the public 
uh, I, so I waited a long time and finally I just said, I, I can't, I can't handle it anymore because not that I can't handle it, but I, I, some, he needs somebody to, um, to protect him and to advocate for him because they weren't doing it. Um, their main goal was to see where they could be throughout that day and the level of pills they were taking. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was, that's when, you know, when you're, when you're gambling or when you're drinking or whatever you're doing, it's that's, that's the main part of your day. And it wasn't my dad. So, and I, 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 I just wanted him to, like I said, I wanted him to, I, I didn't have a magical drug or cure or uh, potion to help him. I, he was sick and I couldn't do anything about it. The, he had the best doctors he could in the world. And um, I wanted him to suffer less because when you're that age, you suffer. You suffer knowing that it could be around the corner, that you're not going to be here anymore. And may you say bye to somebody at the hospital or at home, and that could be the last time you see them. So there's a lot of suffering even without the physical part, you know, when it gets I, to that I, age. I, th I'm, I will recommend this book to people I don't even know in the grocery store uh, <laughs> because I just think there's such a great lesson to be learned. You know, we're, we're in an age when we're talking a lot about uh, elder care, and the lack of legislation protecting people in assisted mm -hmm. living and, and uh, elder care facilities. Mm -hmm. And I think the way you conducted yourself and your dogged determination to stick up for your dad's welfare in light of a lot of pushback from a lot of people was so honorable and admirable that I think everybody could learn from it. And I'll tell you, one of the heartbreaking things, Wheezy, was to you know, this guy was one of the most famous people in the world. And there were a couple of facilities he was in that you even talked about where they didn't do the laundry, they didn't clean up, there was trash everywhere. And I thought, mm -hmm. what a, an undignified conclusion to the life of one of the most talented men in America. It was really very sad. And if it weren't for your advocacy, he might not have come out of that. He... It, it just, he was such a private person, um, you know, and he was also so dressed every day. Like, like even on Christmas morning when, you know, people are in pajamas and their hair is all over the place and they haven't brushed their teeth yet. My dad Christmas morning was in his great jeans, his Gucci loafers, a red Christmas sweater, and he was ready to go out. Like he was, that's how he had his, that's how he did his life every day. Yes. So for him to be not, you know, compromised or not in the best um, shape it I knew I knew that that's what was bothering him the most too and and not out of a vain way but just like let me go home like I just wanted him at home I didn't mm -hmm. like I said I didn't have a cure for him mm -hmm. I just wanted him to be at home where there were familiar things around him and people couldn't take pictures of him um mm -hmm. in the hallway so it, it wasn't that much to ask for it was I thought it was pretty simple um because there are a lot of there are a lot of good facilities um, near them. There are a lot of rotten, awful ones that you wouldn't take an animal to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, that was that was I was that rattled me the most. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't you just be at home? Mm -hmm. Now, what? Of course, of course, absolutely. And what? Uh, your stepmother is still with us. As far as I know. Um, I haven't heard from her. Okay, I'm so assuming yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's, she's here. I don't know where they are. Um, they still live together that, that Jack, Jackie never moved out. So that was an interesting, um, uh, dynamic there too. Yeah. You know, she's, she's 50, almost 50 years old and, and just never moved out. So that was interesting. Yeah, no, that, that whole thing is extremely codependent. And if you're not kind of falling into this codependency club, then we don't need, yeah. we don't need yeah. your kind of positive, uh, you know, enlightened energy around here. But uh, do you, you know, she must, they must know about the book and what do you feel or what have you heard regarding that? I, I'm assuming she does now because all I know is that she reads People Magazine every week and there was something in People Magazine about it. So I'm pretty sure they know. Um, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Um, I thought I was going to hear something through uh, an attorney, which I still might. I don't know. But, you know, Tim, my brother, Tim Fritz, Tim said, no, she's not going to do anything because, you know, if she does that, then it'll cause more attention to them. So she may just mm -hmm. sit back and, and Tim's very neutral. My brother, 
Uh, and I am too. I, I, le- I learned the lesson my dad taught us. Don't draw any unnecessary attention to yourselves. And I didn't want to. Um, and I want to stay neutral and everything, but I just couldn't. And Tim is still very like, you know, keep it, keep it cool. What about your other siblings other than Tim? Have they reacted to it? Have they been supportive? They, the power went out here. And oh, is that what happened? I live in Malibu and it's like Siberia sometimes. Um, <laughs> Fritz had just asked you how your brothers had reacted to the book. How the okay. rest of your family reacted, if, you, if you're comfortable talking about that. Yeah. Um, I had just sent, I just sent my brother's uh, copies of the book. I gave Tim one because he came to one of the signings we had the other day. And uh, I just sent my other brother's book. So we'll see. I hope they like it. I, I, I love them so much. And uh, we had such a fun childhood and we were all little at once, it seems. So, cause we're, there's six of us in only eight years. So we were all, you know, we remember the same things. It's not like one was in college and one mm-hmm. was in preschool. So I hope they like it. Um, Oh, uh, I don't think I, I think you honored your father so beautifully for the first two thirds. And the last two thirds was very gutsy honesty on your part, telling the story. And uh, uh, truthfully, you had to interact with Charlene more than anybody else did. So that's your story. And I don't think there's an issue with that. It doesn't seem to me. There, there. Yeah, I, I hope not. Um, you know, I think I think daughters Well, in my I'll say speak of my family, the boys in my family, you know, oh, dad's okay, great. I'm glad he ate something last week. Okay, bye. And, you know, they're, and they're fine. Like, I don't no, know. that's so true. But girls I think girls kids. like kind of run into the fire. Um, <laughs> and because my dad and I were so close, I think it was just like, how can I help? And I want to help. And I, and my dad would, you know, I would never leave him in that, in that, uh, un, you know, that questionable state of where, what, couldn't even find him for three days at one point. So uh, terrifying. I hope they like it. <laughs> I think your brothers have probably told you over the years that they were grateful that they knew you were on the front line there. They, they have. And I, um, I hope they still feel like that. Um, and I will, I, I will love them till forever. They, we had, we had a blast and they're such good boys and, you know, they look like my dad. They sound like my dad. Right. I, I love them. We had a blast. Mm-hmm. No. You know, I, I, uh, I, I think I talked to your brother about this on his radio show one time, and I'm fascinated by it because it was an issue in my family. Uh, I have two sons, and one of my sons dealt very well with having a dad that everybody interrupted at the grocery store and everybody recognized, not on the scale of Tim Conway, but just <laughs> as a local person that people recognized. And whenever we would run into people in public, my attention was pulled away from my son's you know, by somebody who didn't care that I had two sons. They just wanted to get their autograph with their niece or something right. like that. Right. But it seemed to me that your father uh, did you the great gift of allowing you, all of you kids, to blossom into your own human beings, to become special at what you were good at. You know, you went to USC. It wasn't a fabulous experience for you. And so you developed your talent as a as a fashion person, and they, he supported you in finding out who you were on your own terms. And it had nothing to do with being Tim Conway's daughter. Mm-hmm. And he let he let Tim sort of develop his radio chops and supported him in that way. And I just I just respected that 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 he was somebody mm-hmm. who celebrated the individual that his children were. He did. He always, thank you. And he did. You're right about that for sure. Um, he, he always said, it, you know, people would ask him, do you, you know, you want your kids to be in show business? He said, I'm not, I, I'll, if they want to, great. If not, then I'll, I'll support them in whatever they want to do. Um, you know, it's a hard business. It's a tough business. And I always say, you know, you say, you know, not on my dad's level, but I always say, you know, my dad was no Kardashian, but people liked him. Um, <laughs> So it, it's, it's, and, and you're, and your level and people, ha- how much people love you in LA and wherever they can see you, it's, you know, you were part of everybody's family growing up. You were, you were in their homes and, and, um, my, our whole family loves you. My brother, I, I met you once at Denny's. Oh, were you um, there when he had his daughter? And they, I know Denny's is my favorite, but I haven't been back there since the pandemic. I feel like I'm cheating on a wife or something. I haven't <laughs> gone in there in so long. 
You uh, you were with uh, your was it your son and your grandson maybe? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and Sophia was there and Tim and I and um, yeah, I was like it was such an honor to meet you. But anyway, but when Tim, you like I know you. Tim's kind of the same thing too. I mean, if, uh, uh, a person of notoriety locally, and he probably right. was very sensitive to how people react to him with Sophia around, and always mm -hmm. concentrates on including her in the conversation. That's what I tried to do. One of my sons dealt well with it and one did not. It was very interesting. Well, one of the things also, that I noticed, and maybe you can speak to this, Kelly, is being the, the child of, of somebody well-known, was whenever Fritz was somewhere with his boys and he would say, these are my boys, people felt like they had the right to stare at them like they were in a zoo, the way you <laughs> wouldn't stare at other children and to examine them like they were looking for how he looked like Fritz and they were looking for all these things, but they felt that it was, they were completely entitled to examine these children. And one of his sons found mm -hmm. that very uncomfortable. You could watch him shrink. Yes. And how did, how did, yeah, go ahead, Fritz. Mm -hmm. No, you're exactly right. I'm agreeing with but you. But how, how did you handle that? Because I'm sure when, when Tim said, this is my daughter, Kelly, people probably felt that, you know, they could, you know, kind of like squeeze you like a, like a melon and, and see, you know, <laughs> How you were doing <laughs> true um you know I, I one of my brothers i think um fritz maybe handled it like your other son like he i don't think he took to it or or you know maybe needed an extra bit of attention about it um so it's so funny because you 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 raise kids you know, in the same room, the same bathroom, the same car, the same school, and and people turn out differently. And it's just this um, this chemistry of of not necessarily what the parents did, but it's a different. It's just oh. you know they're different people, and you think you they're all. You are so profoundly correct because you, you I, like your father, was an only child, and mm -hmm. I have three childrens and, and, and three children, and they are so diametrically different on every yeah. level. It's a it's a it's a flipping miracle to me that they came yeah. from the same parents. It's yeah. so interesting. And, and and we literally grew up. We had several bathrooms in the home we grew up in, um, but we all ended up in one because we just liked being together better. But we were literally spitting on each other's heads, brushing <laughs> our teeth in the same sink when there's two other bathrooms down the hall. So you you raise these kids in this little pod, and then some want to work, some don't want to work, some have a great um, uh, you know self esteem, and and maybe one or two don't. And and you know in the seventies, you just kind of, I think my parents just you know if someone if one brother needed special attention, you just you're so first of all people didn't know what it was in the 70s if someone needed special attention just like i don't know give them an extra sandwich or a popsicle when they get home so so they didn't they did the best they could with what they had and every as every parent does and the kids are just kids are just different you know like it's it's just different and and then now we you know we take care of you know the, the boys that that need a little extra attention and so i i even told my brother the other day um lives in arizona i said whatever Whatever happens with all of this, I am going to help you guys do whatever it takes. Because sometimes, you know, you need a little help. So right, we're all we're all. I love that. And let's close with the zipline story because I think. <laughs> oh, it's the best. The near death. wasn't killed. <laughs> well, near death. I mean, it it was. They definitely knew us by name at the Encino emergency room. You know, uh, we'd walk in and they'd see this. They literally, they would see the station wagon and go, I think it's Corey this time, or is it Pat? No, Corey had stitches last week. So it was a lot of visits there. My dad built this zip line from our pool house to across the pool to a wall that uh, kind of surrounded our yard. And you know, he went to Builders Emporium and got all this stuff for it, took us with him. And we're going, what is he making uh, to kill us with, basically? <laughs> um, and he set it up and we each took turns. And the thing was, was he put it up on the roof and then it kind of sloped down to the wall. And you're supposed to let go when you cross the pool. So I got first swam in the pool or got dropped myself in the pool tim and went in order we always went in order of our ages so um so my dad had to sean was so little the youngest one he was so tiny that um, my dad had to pick him up and put him on the 
on the thing. And he said, Sean, okay, let go when you get across the pool. And he was barely talking. I think he was so little and he just did it. And he, he ended up slamming into the wall on the other end. Um, and my mom saw it from up at, in her room and came screaming outside. Um, are you trying to kill my children? So, um, luckily my dad had, he put a, uh, a lounge chair mat in front of the wall, just in case somebody forgot, because, you know, we weren't all scholars in school. I mean, we, we, we were the, we were funny, but, um, that's another thing. My dad always said, you know, I would get in trouble for not getting straight A's or getting a, getting a C or God forbid, I got a D in something because I was at cheerleading practice more than I was at school. Um, that, uh, my mom would scream at us to, um, you gotta get create straight A's and you're better than that. And my kids are not going to get B's and C's. And my dad would come in and go, okay, whoa, 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 <laughs> Callie, can you name the seven dwarfs? I go, yeah, of course I can. And then he'd go, okay. So if you're at a racetrack, how do you bet you have $5? You want this? And I'd say, um, six race, $5 to win on the four. And he'd go, she's fine. Leave her alone. <laughs> you know, so they don't need to be school smart. If they're street smart, they're, they're okay. Bookie. Yeah, exactly. She might be a bookie and it's, and it's math. She's learning math she's and learning she can name oh, dwarf. Dude. So leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of dwarfs. That's more than we have kids. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly so we just want to thank you so much for joining us but you know before we close where can people find your book and where can they find you and would you like them to find you online etc well i'm in malibu near to oh no actually find me. um there's no power on here so don't you do you're not gonna do very well past the dark the, I, the book was just released on thursday last thursday on the 30th so um, uh, where books are sold, Amazon target. Um, I think there's a bit of a supply chain issue at the moment, which I didn't really believe, uh, until everything started getting delayed. It was supposed to be released in November, I think. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's supply, supply chain is real. Um, and so it's anywhere books, um, on audible.com is the audiobook, um, which I read, which was really hard. I mean, you guys like and fritz like doing weather and things and that's is hard to oh, do no. when you have to read like a, a 500 page book i did oh that i volunteered to do that for the blind and it was gut-wrenching time actually slows down it's really hard it, it it slows down and then you i i'm like who wants to listen to this voice for seven <laughs> hours oh my god um but that was hard but anyway the the auto the audiobook is out too and i'm on social media um kelly with three underscores Conway on Instagram. And I hope people like it if they read it. And thank you guys for reading it. It means a lot to me. Yeah, it's thank a very, you. very powerful book and it's it's a beautiful read and it's for everybody. If you if you love Tim Conway, if you have aging parents or grandparents, it's just, it's a human story. It's, it's, and it's just about love and what matters in the world and how we treat each other. and. Uh, you, you just made some really, really beautiful, difficult choices along the way. Even when you were challenged, you were, were always making good choices. And I was always kind of cheering, like, you know, the oh, way that you would you. decide to handle something. I'd be like, yay, that's exactly right. Thanks. Because, you know, you second guess, I, I still second guess myself. Like, should I have even written this? Like, should I have compromised my dad's um, um, legacy or, or oh, no. I, you second guess? You, 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 your father will, is so proud of how you portrayed your childhood. It, it probably makes him in heaven feel like a successful parent. That's all you can do. It was beautiful. It's beautiful for people with elderly parents that might have medical issues. It's beautiful for a, a single girl in a family of boys. It's beautiful in navigating the difficult waters of parents who have been married multiple times. There's something for everybody to learn from this book. It's really a beautiful piece of work, Kelly. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're making me cry. Thank you very much. Thank you and so also, much. You know, to really remind us to treasure one another, to not just walk past older people because they had these incredibly, amazingly rich, wonderful lives and you just mm -hmm. talk to them. Everybody, everybody has value and we, you know, we, we're, yeah. we, we all deserve to be treated 
like like dignified humans. Yeah, listen to their stories. They they know everything, and and I and I did know a lot of stories. I knew a lot about my parents and grandparents. But you know, when they go, you just want five more minutes, and then you want five more minutes after that. Yeah, you never want them to leave. Yeah, and uh, yeah, be nice to people, be and help people. You know, open doors and and you know, you never know what somebody. You guys are making me cry. Um, you don't know what somebody else has gone through at the grocery store, you know, if you're checking out your groceries and the cashier might not be as friendly as you want her to be. And so maybe you're not as friendly back, but you have no idea if her dog died or her mom got sick or her son, you know, got hit by a car on his bike or you, you have no idea what happened. So just be nice to people and, and don't cry when you're talking to people. Right. And- and like if you move to know. Malibu, you know, get a generator. And exactly, my brother, my brother says that to me. He goes, "You're why don't you have a generator?" <laughs> and I said, "Because I, I mean, I live pretty close to people. They would hate the noise. And besides, my emergency kit is a diet coke and a can of tuna, so I'm fine." There you right, go. You're good. You're good. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to read our closing credits, but first, Fritz is going to tell people or beg people to uh, review our show because well, we- if you enjoyed this episode of Media Path, it would help us a great deal to be more discoverable by potential new listeners if you leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're new here and this is your first time, check our catalog at Media Path Podcast. We have what Weezy almost eighty episodes now. There's something there, for yeah. every taste. If you are a baby boomer, we really target your life. Thank you for spending an hour with us, and we would be overjoyed if you took a moment to please share your thoughts with us or recommend us to a friend. And we would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod, and on Facebook, where we are Media Path Podcast. We also have a new Facebook group, which you can join, and we would love to have you there. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at mediapathpodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our wonderful, beautiful, and brilliant guest, Kelly Conway. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco DeManda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path. so much you guys are so nice and and you know what i've been doing a lot